Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And I'm Chris Noble. And we're on a journey to explore the brightest and most innovative minds and initiatives in social purpose. Today, companies and brands must stand for something meaningful. They have to have a social purpose and bring that purpose forward to their employees, their customers, and their community. Each episode, we're talking to leaders at Fortune 100 companies, global brands, social enterprise startups, NGOs, and everything in between. We'll be taking a deep dive to learn how they are integrating purpose into their organizations. To benefit both business and society for enduring impact. Join us. I am Carol Cohn, and I'm here for Purpose 360 at the second day of the CCP Summit. And it's a very exciting year because it's the 20th anniversary of CCP. And the organization's come a really long way. I am so excited because I nabbed um, at breakfast the infamous, famous, wonderful <clears throat> Lord Hastings. And I just wanted to get a few comments about how you see companies' role in society evolving. And um, also, what are you going to be talking about today at CCP? What's remarkable in 2019 is that companies have gone from being fighters of corporate purpose into being feelers of corporate purpose. They've become so intensely passionate about the things that NGOs and the United Nations and multilateral bodies, we used to say it was all down to government if you cared about the environment. Now it's all down to companies and individuals if you really care about the environment. The biggest innovations are coming out of the corporate and private sector and the resources that are following very often from government because companies have led the way. So I'm incredibly excited about the way that the agenda has shifted towards the responsible leaders are in the profit sector and the followers are in the public sector. Now, obviously, what we've got to build in the future is making sure that both those two ideologies fit together in our politics as well as in our profit purposes. And we put those two together and create a new context around civil society. We break the old paradigm that says, if you really care about society, you're somebody in a public institution or in a campaign or advocacy body, or you're working with the UN. No, if you really care about society, you're in those and you're in business. And you feel that actually by, by providing real employment based on profit and hard income, you're delivering societal change that's positive. What companies do you feel are really doing a job of addressing in a strategic way, in an authentic way, their role in civil society as well as growing their business? Well, you, you, you have to answer that question by beginning with the most wonderful of all global companies being Unilever and the incredible reverence we all feel for Paul Polman, who's been the chief executive for the last 10 years and has actually improved the profitability of the business by 233 percent whilst ensuring that the focus of the business is upon improving the lives of a billion people around the world. You can't get better than that. But I'm incredibly proud of Vodafone, where I am on the board of the Vodafone Foundation, which in 2015 was the number one company on the fortune list for companies that are driving the best impact in the world. And that's largely because of what Vodafone created in Kenya called the M-Pesa mobile money transfer system. And Vodafone providing that incredible M-Pesa mobile money transfer network, which has now gone into M-Health, so you get diagnosis available by the phone, and you've got got weather-based information, farm-based information, and market information. So Vodafone featured in 2015. This year, 
the company that's, that is actually number two in the Fortune Improve the World list is Merck. And I'll be talking about Merck a little bit at this conference, largely because it was Merck which invested the necessary billions of dollars to get to a solution, a vaccine to deal with Ebola. And the result of that meaning that the crisis of Ebola, which re-emerged in 2018, was able to be capped because of immunization. Now, that is brilliant profit-making medical development from a commercial company that solved a social national problem way beyond its borders. So you give counsel to many CEOs. What are, not the Paul Pullmans of the world, but the next level down, what are they thinking about their role um, in business and society? Well, we always used to say that the people in the middle of the business are the obstructors because they're the ones who feel that their job is to make sure that the profit line is maintained and the company remains financially strong. But we've now seen a move upwards of of young millennials who've moved into management and executive positions. They carried with them their frustration whilst they were students. The world was unfair and unequal, that we were polluting the planet with plastics, that we didn't have a focus on ensuring that the homeless needed the support that they should get both from the commercial sector and from the, and from the public sector. So I think we now have a whole middle layer that is irritating away upwards at the chief executives and causing the chief executives to become more vocal about public issues. I was thrilled to see that, uh, that, Doug, that Doug McMillan at Walmart decided that he would pioneer an effort across Walmart to deliver a living wage, something that KPMG pioneered in the UK with the first business to do that. The rest of the business culture in the UK adopted it. It then became government policy to see US corporations the size of Walmart say, actually, to be fair to the millions of people who work within a business like Walmart, we need to pay them a living wage so they can have dignity and freedom. You see, that is the push that's coming upwards. And then you get into, and you start to get into areas which would have been put down as public policy, government decision-making. Well, let's not keep that separation of ideas any longer. You know, I know there's a fight going on here in the US about socialism versus capitalism. Well, let's just call it reality life. What we need in reality life is dignity for all, integrity for all, and opportunity for all. And if we deliver that through a capitalist model with a socialist tinge or through a socialist model with a capitalist tinge, it doesn't matter. So you never slow down. You are as passionate and as wise in providing counsel to incredible people, and you you scale. You scale your heart, your, your mind, and such. What are the core issues you feel in the next five years key CEOs and companies must address? Well, I hope I continue to remain as passionate going into the future. I mean, all of us, as we gray up a little bit uh, and we wrinkle up a little bit, sometimes wonder when, when, uh, well, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to avoid. (laughs) (laughs) Black don't crack, as they say. (laughs) But what I believe are the issues, the primary issues facing chief executives going forward, undeniably, number one global risk by every measure is climate change. Mm -hmm. And, and businesses have to square up to that, face up to that, and deal with that internally as well as what they advocate at a city, state, and governmental level. Number two is inequality. Inequality is rampant, and it is causing severe frustration in politics and in markets. We've already seen now over 30, 30 weeks of protests in Paris, mm-hmm. where people, the yellow jackets are out saying, we can't afford fuel, we can't afford food. You know, you can have a very ambitious policy state, but if you can't deliver the basics for the poorest, people will come out and turn the place upside down. And, and you know, we've seen also a very sad reflection that 
You know, when Nelson Mandela was pro became president in South Africa, 89% of the South African people came out to vote for him. And just a week ago, 46% voted for the African National Congress. In other words, the sense of disillusionment yes. that has set into national politics. Here in the United States, deep disillusionment and division over growing inequality. Tax cuts which benefit the limited few at the peak and do not advance those struggling with medical bills and struggling with university fees and battling away on the basics. So that's a big issue, inequality. And I would say the third issue is going to be integrity. You know, it's not just because there are a couple of chief executives who are being done up now for bad behavior and companies and corporations which are being done up now for bad behavior. But in our public and private lives, we've really got to be conscious that the world is a nervous place and a fractious place and a fearful place. We're still having wars and genocides. You know, we thought those kind of things ended in the Second World War. They did not. They are still a reality today. Yemen is a classic case in point. Syria is a classic case in point. But so is what is happening in Venezuela. Very fearful on America's back door. And look at the, the threats and fears people feel as a result of the Rohingya crisis to do with Burma. And so you have to say to yourself, well, if these things are still an uncomfortable reality in our world, we need leaders who really beat with an open heart. And we've got to see much more of that than the nastiness and criticism that we see in public life too often. Why is CCP a really important organization? What is their role in helping to advance so much of your philosophies? Well, I just love it that CCP has gone from being committee encouraging corporate philanthropy into being chief executives of corporate purpose. And I agree. What a wonderful thing. In other words, it's got to galvanize the capacity of business leaders to say purpose is now so intrinsic to who you are, how you are, and what you do. It's intrinsic to the bottom line of the business, and it's intrinsic to your operations. Therefore, it's got to provide the role models and the institutional frameworks and the leadership templates. That's why CECP is vital for all of us for the future. Thank you. So, And what will you be talking about today? I'm going to be talking today about a mix between personal models and corporate models, but fundamental is the invisibility of values, and we live in a world where we've got to find the invisible and the intangible. That's fantastic. So what is next for Lord Hastings? Uh, well, I hope um, on my flight back to London later on today, I will reflect carefully on, in the light of this experience and this wonderful organization that I've been associated with now for 13 years, how do we build this kind of increasing consensus in every country in the world? I'm proud that American corporations have grabbed the emphasis on purpose and speak about it so strongly. I can say that of many British corporations. But if we look across the continent in Europe, not as equally shared. If we look beyond into Asia, yes, strongly shared and understood. But what we need is a common alliance between the big economies of the world. It's no longer just Europe and the United States. It is now China, India, Europe and the United States. We need those alliances together. That's fantastic. So I want to thank you for your time. And I know you're going to be helping to make the world a better place for many, many years. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carol. I am with a longtime friend, someone I admire so much, Doug Conant, who has had an amazing career. Um, we knew each other a lot when he was CEO of Campbell's. And he has also had a major role in CCP's evolution. And we are at the 20th anniversary of CCP. And so Doug graciously agreed to step aside from his speaking role to just have a nice side comment conversation with me. So, so Doug, talk a little bit about um, your role with CCP. And then we're going to get into your view of purpose and how it's evolved over time. 
Well, I've been chairman of CECP now for seven years. I've been a member of the organization since 2005, 14 years. Uh, I joined when I was CEO of Campbell Soup Company, where we met and did some remarkable things on the corporate social responsibility front. And uh, I have, uh, I, so I've been a board member and a board chair for quite a long period of time. I had the opportunity to recruit Daryl Brewster to come run the organization. A good move, and, by the way. And I had the opportunity to learn from the very best, Charlie Moore, who founded the organization. So. Uh, it's an exciting time to be part of CECP, uh, to, uh, uh, and I believe the best is yet to come. We have great traction in the marketplace. Our message is resonating increasingly with the corporate community and also with the broader community as well. And you, um, I'm very impressed by CP, CECP's uh, recruitment of CEOs. Can you talk about that challenge and how that's changed over the years? Well, uh, quite frankly, it's, it requires star power at the very beginning. We were founded by uh, Paul Newman, David Rockefeller, John Whitehead, uh, Peter Malkin, uh, people who were luminaries of the corporate, corporate community, particularly here on the East Coast. And they attracted uh, a plethora of CEOs around the concept of performing well, but uh, helping to build a better world. And uh, so that resonated with a core group. And then we had some stellar leadership uh, from people like uh, uh, Sandy Weil at Citigroup and, and, and uh, McGraw-Hill companies. And we had, a, we had a, breakthrough, uh, a breakthrough effort to recruit CEOs. We now have 220, roughly, of the Fortune 500 CEOs who are joining us. Originally, I think it was driven by star power. Now, I think the star is the message. And the star, and we're pulling them in because we have a message that's resonating, not just with the CEOs, but with their employees and with the investment community as well. So your time has come. So talk a little bit about the name change, because I think that that's quite significant. Well, originally, we were founded on the notion of uh, being a, uh, a committee encouraging corporate philanthropy. And we wanted to encourage companies to give back more to society in a way that worked for them. And at the time, philanthropy was the way to go. Uh, we have found now that there are so many ways for companies to give back and do it in a way that actually enhances their ability to perform as well. Uh, and given that we're chief executive focused, CEO focused, we evolved the, the, the message to be chief executives for, for common corporate purpose. And uh, it, uh, it is a message that is resonating with them. Each CEO can shape it in a way that leverages their respective organizations, skills, assets, and capabilities to deliver improved performance but also help build a better world. And uh, it really responds to the CEO's desire to help lead the charge in the 21st century. And how much of this beyond recruitment, which is so, so important today, with millennials becoming 70, 80, 90 percent of our organizations as well as our customers, um, how much is it also about innovation and um, increased profitability? Well, I think uh, like having, a com having a powerful purpose uh, is something that can connect everyone to the essence of what you're trying to deliver uh, for your enterprise. And it's, it, 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 
when done well, it has a powerful strategic clarity about it. It also has a social aspect, which links that strategic imperative to not only performing well in the marketplace, but also performing well with your commu- with the larger community, with society. And so what we're seeing now is that these companies are, are, are changing the way they think about competing, and they're building better companies. They're building a better world, and that attracts, I've got to tell you, that attracts everyone, not just millennials. Yeah. Everyone is searching for meaning in life. I'm a baby boomer. And let me tell you, uh, the baby boomers that are still working, this message resonates with them too, as it does with Gen Xers. And it will, it, it's a human need to, to want to feel as if you're working for an organization that is dedicated to leaving a legacy that transcends the ordinary. Very well stated. Um, I have been to one board of boards um, many years ago, and I know that um, everyone wonders what is discussed behind those closed doors. So is there anything that you can share about the most recent board of boards or the last couple of years? Well, what I'm, over time, I pro- my goodness, I've probably been to 10 or 12 board of boards uh, out of the 19 we've had, 18. Um, and uh, what I would say is we're having a, a more fulsome conversation. We used to just have a conversation about our business and then about what we were doing to have social impact. And they weren't part of the same conversation. Now it's all part of one piece of cloth. So we're talking about how we are building a better business, but we're doing it in a way that is also enhancing uh, the benefits we offer to our employees and to society at large. So the nature of the conversation has changed dramatically in the last five years. And what do you, I know that there is the um, that finance and the chief financial officer and Wall Street has been an impediment through short-term reporting to companies having a longer-term view in terms of their investment in society. But CECP has a new initiative. Can you talk about that? Well, we have an initiative called the Strategic Investor Initiative, which is brilliantly co-chaired by two of our board members, Bill McNabb from Vanguard and Alex Gorsky from J&J. And what we're encouraging CEOs to do is to come and talk to the financial community, mostly buy-side people like BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, which have trillions of dollars in the room when we have these uh, CEOs come speak. And we have them come talk about their long-term plans, not their short-term plans, in order to create context for how the market should view their short-term actions. And historically, we're sort of prisoners of the past and prisoners of an old paradigm where we were all reporting on quarterly earnings calls and, uh, and we the pendulum swung too far mm-hmm. and we were too focused on the quarters and not sufficiently focused on where we were going strategically. And I see the, the corporate world responding to that in a, in a way that they can manage, that we can manage. And we're coming back to the middle now where we're trying to create better strategic clarity about what we're doing so that when people hear about short-term performance, they can view it through a, okay, this is the long-term lens. Historically, they just react to the quarters, and the stocks tend to go up and down, and it, it's, it's just a messy way to be. And companies do think long-term. I mean, everywhere I've been, the companies have been in 
business for 100 years, and they weren't in business for 100 years, quarter to quarter for those 100 years. So it's it's not like uh, this is a new idea. We're actually, this is a kind of back to the future idea, where we're actually going back to where we were originally, I think. What is your message to CEOs and companies who aren't members of CCP? Well, what I would say and what I do say is that there's an opportunity to be part of a high-performance community that sees value in meeting marketplace expectations, but also sees great value in meeting societal expectations. And you can be part of a community where you can learn and grow and your organization can learn and grow in new, fresh ways with best-of-class examples, which we showcase virtually every day. Excellent. I think, I think every company that wants to succeed in the 21st century should be a member. So you look out. You might have, uh, through this podcast and other um, efforts, you might double your membership soon. Um, how about looking into the crystal ball, and where do you feel purpose is going in the next uh, three or five years? Well, I'm hopeful that every company will find a way, a, a platform that works for them to have clarity of purpose with all their stakeholders so that everybody knows where they're going and they will report on that regularly. My observation is if they do that, the short term becomes less of an issue as long as they're being true to their long-term plan and their long-term plan has to hold up to scrutiny. So in the next five years, I believe all companies are going to be finding ways to explicitly articulate their corporate purpose and how they intend to pursue that purpose in a disciplined, responsible way. And then they'll report their their near-term, their short-term performance within that context. Right now, so much of the performance is being reported out of context, and that's not good for anybody. What is the role of a CEO in terms of its company's purpose? In 25 words or less, I don't think I can do it. But I would, I would, (laughs) I would say, as a CEO, you know, you have to uh, create a compelling uh, uh, a sense of urgency uh, around uh, around uh, the need to have a, a sense of purpose. And then you have to galvanize the organization to create it and then to bring it to life. And then ultimately, you have to be a dog on a bone. Mm. You have to walk in those shoes. You have to walk the talk every day, 24-7. You know, Stephen Covey had a great line a thousand years ago. He said, Doug, you can't talk your way out of something you behaved your way into. (laughs) You have to behave your way out of it. And I think the key here is going to be to find a way to galvanize an organization, to pursue a sense of shared purpose, Mm -hmm. but then to behave our way to a place where we're bringing that to life every day so our words and our deeds are clearly, unmistakably aligned. Lovely. Um, Who do you think should be the day-to-day integrator and driver of this? I am seeing, in a way, a war between the CMO, the CCO, the president of the foundation, maybe HR, maybe head of strategy, who should be the person that is the, if the CEO is now giving direction at a high level, but who's the day-to-day integrator? I think it requires a, mo- a model that is team-driven, not function-driven. We're sort of organized by functions, and we need to do that 
to make the operation work for a variety of reasons. It's the way they're built. They're, they're changing. But I think, to my way of thinking, the executive team needs to own the purpose and the CEO needs to make it needs to be the keeper of the flame for the purpose because it touches every nook, as you know. Yeah. It touches every nook and cranny of the organization. When done well, yes. When done well, or if not done well, it's not done well in every nook and cranny. So the only place where that all comes together is at the CEO level. I think there are two things you have to be the keeper of the flame on: the purpose and the talent. As a CEO, those are the two things you've got to do and make sure your executive team is all over it like white on rice. And any fantastic conversation, Doug. Any parting comments to uh, the folks at CCP on their 20th anniversary or to our listeners? Well, I, I would say I am so invigorated to see, to know where we've been and to see how far we've come. But we can do better. And we, we simply must do better in service to all the people that are partnering with us and in service to the world at large. Uh, the corporate community has the talent, the financial resources, and an increasing sense of purpose to be a, a, a contributor to the solutions in society. We have to seize the day, and we have to do it now. Excellent. Well, I am so thrilled to have caught up with my dear friend, Doug Conant. Um, one, now I know why you have been so successful in business and chair of CCP. And uh, I wish you great continued success, and I know you will achieve it. Well, thank you very much, Carol. And it's a thrill to be back connected with the woman who helped me for the first time bring corporate social responsibility to life for the first time in Campbell Soup history. And uh, you were the catalyst of that. So we were quite a team. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Well, we'll continue to be a team in different ways. All right. So thank you very much. Okay.